Navigating the Datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Welcome to episode 19 of the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley. Today, we're going to continue our exploration of NoSQL options in the database world, and we're going to talk about Couchbase Server. Joining us to navigate this part of the Datascape is Terry Dariwell. Hey, Terry. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Uh, thank you for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Great. Can you help the audience get to know you a little bit and give us an overview of your career? Sure. So I'm currently working for uh, Pythian as a solution architect, but just to give you a bit of background about you know where I come from and what I've done. So I started off my career as a developer back in 2003 after graduating from computer science degree course. And I started working for many small to medium organizations because I found it was a a better fit because I wanted to do lots of different things as opposed to being a, a person that does a niche. So started off as a developer, developing web applications and backend systems. And I quickly kind of evolved to move into the database space and the kind of architecture space as a whole. Because the organizations I was working for, we, we didn't have the luxury of having kind of siloed uh, teams. And so we, we kind of had to learn a little bit of everything. So we couldn't just kind of throw the ball over the fence whenever there was a database problem and say, hey, can you add more uh, tin to, to the database? So we had to kind of roll up our sleeves and get a holistic view of how systems kind of fit together. So uh, my background, I would say, is uh, I'm still, you know, developer focused. I love coding, but I'm, you know, passionate about databases and I'm passionate about cloud and um, agile development as a whole. Okay, great. So why don't we start at the very beginning? What is Couchbase Server? Sure. So maybe just a little bit about the the company because Couchbase has a number of different products. One of one of them being Couchbase Server. So Couchbase Server is a NoSQL database. It's open source, and it's a document database. So it stores JSON documents. So it's very suitable for uh, you know use cases where you have a flexible schema or uh, a schema that's very volatile, that changes a lot, or where you don't have control over what the schema looks like, such as when you're importing data from a third-party stream. Another good use case is when you need to model data hierarchically. So product catalog would be a good use case because it's hierarchical in nature. So it's a, it's a document database, but it also supports binary blob, uh, storing binary blobs as well. So that's just a little bit about Couchbase Server. There are other products which I'll just touch upon now, and then maybe we can drill down into Couchbase Server in more, in more depth, if that's okay. So Couchbase Analytics is another solution. It's a very, it's a, it's a new solution. It's in preview at the moment. So Couchbase Analytics is a OER, uh, online analytical processing system. So it's, it's effectively uh, a data warehouse, but storing data as documents. Whereas Couchbase Server is uh, an OLTP solution, so Online Transactional Processing Database. And um, I think it, it's a good decision to kind of separate the two products out instead of having a generic database engine that tries to do both OLTP and OLAP because it's very difficult to performance optimize for both types of workflows. And then another product that Couchbase has is called Couchbase Mobile. And Couchbase Mobile, also called Couchbase Lite, is an embeddable database that you can install on IoT or mobile devices. And effectively, it's a lightweight database that enables you to build applications that use a local embedded database 
and it, it, it abstracts away all of the complexities of synchronizing data from your device to a centralized database system. Uh, so it's very similar to, catch, uh, to Google Firebase. So it, it, takes, it, it takes care of all of the synchronization. So imagine you have a mobile application, you've designed it to, to hit APIs, but what happens if you lose Wi-Fi connection or wireless connectivity? So it's designed for those use cases. So now you can design an application that will continue to work uh, regardless if the connection is strong or even down. And then once the connection is strong enough or up again, it will synchronize any changes made. So it's, it's, it's designed for those kind of offline use cases right on the edge. So those are the three key products that Cashbase deals with. Okay. So today we're going to concentrate on Couchbase Server. What business problem or your technical problem even, does it solve? Sure, I think to answer this question, it, it may make sense to go through the history of how Couchbase came to be because it's another NoSQL database and there are you know, many NoSQL databases out there and they, they kind of focus on very similar problem cases. So let's just start with the, the history. So Couchbase started off as a, a caching technology. So Memcached is a uh, an open source, a very popular open source caching technology. And when uh, the original, some of the original developers that contributed to the Memcached repo code base, they decided to fix some of its underlying gaps. Basically, the gaps were, it's an in-memory cache, there wasn't any persistence. So they wanted to kind of have local persistence, but they also wanted replication and they wanted, wanted to treat uh, Memcached as a clustered system. And so that's what they did. They, they took this Memcached open source solution and they made it enterprise ready. They added just persistence, uh, they added replication with failover, and they um, also added in the ability to eject data, but then pull it back up from the local disk. So it, it, it was effectively a key value store with, but it was an in-memory key value store with disk persistence underneath. Then they decided to uh, work with um, customers that needed this kind of technology. It was mainly gaming companies that needed very, very high performance gets and sets, uh, very simple key value access paths to data. But then the customers wanted to, they wanted more flexibility in querying the data. And so the, uh, so this company, which is called Membase, merged with another set of uh, another company called Couch One, and Couch One had the original developers of CouchDB, which is a, a document database drawing JSON documents. And so what they did was they they took what they had, which was a distributed in-memory and dispersisted key-value store, and they added on the understanding of JSON documents. So the database, the the persistent engine itself understood uh, the actual JSON data that was being stored. Um, and then you could query over that. And then kind of they iterated and they continued to add on a bunch of features to Couchbase. And they did this in an iterative way such that the original performance, the high throughput, the low latency capabilities were not compromised. So they wanted to maintain a horizontal scalability infrastructure uh, foundation and then add on the features because what they want, what they were learning from, were other NoSQL technology, other vendors that were exposing lots of rich features, but then uh, making scalability and performance an afterthought. Whereas this kind of evolution was uh, taking the the 
scalability, the performance as as a, a foundation, and then not something to kind of trade off for extra features. So as they added on these extra features, they maintained that performance. So what you have now is Couchbase. That was the combination of CouchDB and Membase to, to give you Couchbase. So in summary, what you have the Couchbase server is a distributed system with a built-in integrated managed cache for high performance reads and writes. You have a document database store, so you can store key value binary blobs, or you can store JSON documents, but, and, and then you have various access paths to that data. That could be key value access paths, that could be SQL access paths, that could be uh, full text search queries. And effectively what they've done is they, they've added on new database engines that are optimized for the specific type of workload. So they have a key value engine for key value access path. They have a SQL engine, database engine for SQL queries. They have a full text uh, search engine for full text search queries. Each one is isolated from the other, but obviously there are dependencies. But the, the key idea here is that they've decoupled lots of different database engines and exposed them as services, which enables you to prevent any resource contention between the different workloads. It also enables you to spin up uh, these services on different dedicated hardware so that you can uh, size each service for its type of workload. And by doing that, they've basically built an ecosystem of different database engines that enable you to query your database. So this is very similar to the way cloud systems uh, like Google or AWS have built systems. They've, they've got a, a document databases, they've got uh, columnar databases, they've got caching servers, and, and it's not one giant database engine, it's basically uh, an ecosystem of uh, database engines. So it's the same thing like that, but it's for the open source market. So why does it exist? Why, why does Couchbase exist? Well, it, it's purely there to solve uh, numerous use cases where relational databases just aren't a good fit. And, and as you are aware, you know, we've had the relational database for over 30 years. It's, it's very mature. It's powerful, great for asset transactions, but there are many use cases where relational databases just aren't a good fit. Um, and that's kind of where NoSQL comes into play and Couchbase, in effect, comes into play. So key value access paths. There's, there's, most of the key value access paths don't need asset transactions. And so, for example, if you had a relational database and you wanted to store uh, user sessions, basket sessions for an e-commerce website, you could do that in a relational database. You you have a primary key and you basically have a blob of information. But then that has to go through all of the overhead of a two-phase commit that a uh, relational database system has. So you have to, you know, hit the trans, uh, you have to hit um, transaction logs, you have to do lots of checks and balances to make sure that the changes are ACID compliant. All of that kind of goes away when it comes to NoSQL, uh, especially with key value access paths. So you can quickly hit the server and respond in within milliseconds. So any, any use cases where you have to deal with sub-millisecond response times, so you know 0 0.5 to 0.8 milliseconds, any systems where you need to deal with hundreds of thousands to millions of operations per second, or where you need to kind of scale beyond a single server. So those are the types of use cases that NoSQL in general and Couchbase is a good fit for. Okay. Could you... I'm, this might be hard and, and then maybe challenge on the podcast, but is there a... Is there a typical architecture or could you walk us through what a, a Couchbase server uh, architecture might look like? 
Okay, so yeah, I think maybe let's let's start with um, what Couchbase calls the four pillars. So so they so when Couchbase designed their database, they interviewed uh, over 200 IT uh, folks, people including DBAs, CTOs, cloud architects, and so on. And they said, what what do you want from a NoSQL database? What are the key features? So the four pillars or the four key kind of aspects that people uh, that developers and DBAs wanted to see was consistent performance. So they wanted to they wanted a platform that was not performant now and again. They just wanted consistently consistent write with sub millisecond response times, regardless of the throughput, regardless of the number of nodes. They needed they wanted something that would scale horizontally, and they wanted high availability. So those so when I talk about the infrastructure, those three elements will come into play, uh, and they also wanted something that wasn't always tied to a structure. So uh, a flexible sch- uh, schema was a key, a key kind of goal. How can we leverage a database that gives you structure but is also flexible? So let's talk about those four things in context of its architecture. So first of all, it's a distributed system. It's always been a distributed system from the get-go. And it started off as a key value store. So you have an in-memory cache and you have a, a, a dis-persistent store and data is evenly distributed across your servers. And that is done automatically by Couchbase through a hashing algorithm called CRC32, which is a very old hashing algorithm used to kind of validate. You may have seen it when you used to burn CDs and used to get CRC32 errors or CRC errors. But basically it's a, it's a very old but very mature hashing algorithm. It ensures that whatever you hash will be distributed evenly and randomly across your physical machines. Uh, so the way it works is Couchbase has the database itself will have 1,024 shards or you know uh, partitions, whatever you want to call them. And they are evenly distributed across your physical machines uh, using round robin. And then as you read and write data, the primary key of the entity you want to interact with will be hashed. And that will be hashed consistently to one of these 1,024 shards. And so it doesn't matter where the shard lives, because logically your uh, entity will always live in the same shard because the primary key will always hash to the same value. So it will always give you a value of 1 to 1,024. Uh, so before you go on, where did 1,024 come from and is it uh, changeable? It is changeable, but it's a, it's a compile time change. So you, you could compile, recompile Couchbase with you know, more shards if you want. Why did they choose it? I guess it's just a magic number in IT, right? 1,024. <laughs> so, and it works very well. We, so, Couchbase hasn't, as far as I know, had the need to scale beyond a maximum of 1,024 servers for a given cluster. If you did, it's, it's a, that's a pretty large cluster, and I don't, I don't think you'll get that. So, uh, that's why 1,024. And, and, it, and it's fixed, and it's fixed for a reason, because it means you can add servers and remove servers dynamically, but you will always logically live in the same area, in the same shard, so to speak. And the, the, the application server has a cluster map, which basically maps out where these shards live. So it's, you can think of it, as, well, it's a map, first of all, but if you want to think of it visually, it's just a table with 1,024 rows and a column that represents the physical server the shard uh, lives in. And then another column or a set of columns that represent the replica shards. So for high availability. Okay. And, that, and, and, and that's a pretty small kind of map. It's about one to two kilobytes in size. 
So from a you know maintenance perspective, as you add and remove servers, you don't have to tell your application servers where your data lives. You simply tell the application servers where your shards live, and the clients will actually work out where the data lives through the hashing mechanism. But if we were to summarize that, it basically means your data will be evenly distributed. So if you have 10 servers, you'll have a tenth of data on each server. If you have five, a fifth on each server. And each server is responsible for active data and replica data. So there is a master replica kind of concept here. Okay, um, before you go on, how many replica shards are there by default and is that changeable? So again, it, it's not changeable. So if you, if you just you know, take the, if you just build the system as is, it will give you a maximum of a three replica copies, okay. which means four, four copies of your data. But again, it's a compile time setting. So if you want to fork CacheBase and do your own thing, you can do that as well. Okay. So four copies of your data. And that they, the copies are also rack aware. So you could just have one uh, or three copies, uh, uh, three servers with uh, three, sorry, not three servers. You could have, say, six servers, two in each rack. And you can have one replica copy, but because of rack awareness, you could survive a whole rack going down, even okay. with one replica copy. Okay, cool. That's kind of how that works. So the replication is done for you uh, under the hood. So this is a key difference because I think you know that uh, there are many Mongo users, there are many Cassandra users. They were one of the first kind of NoSQL technology in the space. So it's very different to the way they architect because Cassandra, for example, every replica is a master. Mongo is more of a master-slave kind of architecture where you write to the master copy of data and it's replicated under the hood. Couchbase is very similar, but it's something in between what Cassandra does and what Mongo does. So from an architecture perspective, there's no master or slave. Every server is a master. Every server is dealing with a portion of master data and a portion of replica data. So every server is dealing with writes. That's how it differs from Mongo. But how it differs from Cassandra is that there is active data that you write to and replica, replica data is updated in the background. And you, you don't access that directly using your clients. And, that, and, and the reason for that is because it's a CP database in, in the CAP theorem. It trades off availability for consistency and partition tolerance. Okay, so let's finish out the four, four partitions and, and draw the, for the audience, draw that typical architecture. For, I said four partitions, what I meant is four pillars. Okay, no problem. So from a consistent, performance perspective, because of the way uh, data is sharded automatically and evenly, you don't get hotspots. That's going to help you achieve the consistent high performance because you're not going to be hitting one server more than others because every server will be dealing with the same amount of data volume, same amount of data load. It's horizontally scalable because it's, it's effectively a key value store with a cache. So you're going to be gaining a lot of performance, performance from the cache itself. So effectively, you, you know, CacheBase will maximize its use of, of the memory as much as it can. You want to leave some memory available for the operating system, about 10%. But uh, all that 90% that's left over, you can use that for CacheBase and its processes. So you can basically uh, spin up databases across all of the servers and you can say, hey, I want to assign X amount of memory to this database. And CacheBase will cache as much as it can. It's a write-first, uh, sorry, it's a memory-first architecture. So all your writes and all your reads will happen in memory. So when you write data, it will hit the memory first, hit, hit the cache first, and then it will be concurrently persisted to disk 
and replicated across various uh, other nodes. When you read data, if it's in the cache, it will be served from the cache. If you read data that's not in the cache, it will be pulled from local disk, added to the cache, and, and served. And that's what gives CatchBase the sub-millisecond response times because you know, 90 to 95% of the time, you're going to be hitting the cache. You get the consistency because you always hit a master a copy of data when you do your reads and your writes. And it doesn't suffer from kind of reading from replicas. It doesn't have to read from replicas because the cache itself gives you that high throughput. Okay. So that's the, that's the scalability side. So it's horizontally scalable from a key value perspective. And we'll touch on where it's not horizontally scalable because a lot of NoSQL vendors will say we're horizontally scalable and everything works and, and, and that's not the truth. There are certain features that won't be horizontally scalable. Uh, from a high availability standpoint, that was the other kind of four pillar, one of the four pillars. So you have uh, consistent performance, easy horizontal scalability and high availability. The high availability comes from the replicas, which we've just uh, spoken about, and automatic failover. And this is where it makes a bit of trade-off for availability. To maintain consistency, when a server dies, you can't continue your, your writes for that portion of data. The cluster itself basically detects that the server is down, and then it makes the replica copies available. But it does so with a bit of gap in time. So in, in the past, in previous versions, it was 30 seconds. And that was to kind of avoid false positives. So you don't want to kind of make a replica available if the active is still available. And that can happen if you have like network partitions or problems with networks. So you, you take a 30-second trade-off for availability. In the latest version, I believe it's five seconds of a trade-off of availability. But what it means is your developers don't have to worry about thinking about staleness of data. They write the applications with consistency in mind. And this is a major problem for many developers that start using switch from relational to NoSQL because they automatically assume the data will be consistent and it's not always the case. So that's how that works. There's also cross data center replication for active-active data center deployments. A little bit different to Cassandra. So Cassandra has one giant cluster across data centers. Uh, Cashbase will have multiple clusters, each cluster isolated to a data center. So that's kind of how that works. It, so and, and that brings your data closer to your end users. So if you have a geo-distributed audience, it brings data closer. And then finally, the flexible schema, and that comes from the JSON models. This is kind of where I think you know Catchbase really hits all four of those pillars really well. Whereas some other databases kind of hit three or four, uh, three, two or three of those really well. But the fourth one uh, is the schema flexibility because we're storing JSON it's really easy to make schema changes or it's really easy for the database to handle schema changes. There's no alter command and you know you don't have to make wholesale schema changes for, for every entity in a database. If certain entities in a database have additional attributes, they will have those additional attributes. If, if, if the other entities, other JSON documents don't, then they just don't have those uh, available. So it's really flexible for that kind of agile kind of use case where you, know, you can't control the schema. So I was kind of introduced to Catchbase through that use case. So I was dealing with a clickstream analytics use case where we were capturing everything from a web application, every form field interaction, every textual change, every page load, and each write to the database had a slightly different schema. That's kind of one of the reasons I started to explore Catchbase. The other reason was the MySQL instances. Uh, we also tried Oracle, we also tried SQL Server, just couldn't handle 
the throughput that uh, that clickstream data was ha uh, generating. It was generating eventually terabytes of data over over a month, hundreds of gigs a day. Uh, replication also included, and the throughput was in the tens of thousands to the hundreds of thousands of writes per second. So uh, that's kind of how I was introduced to NoSQL because of those database limitations. And eventually Couchbase kind of hired me because of that use case. Okay. Okay. So I think we've covered the the pillars well. Could you paint a picture of a typical architecture, not the you know architecture of Couchbase Server itself, but a deployment architecture? Sure. So so when you say deployment architecture, do you mean how it looks logically from from an architecture diagram or more physically? So I wanna I wanna use Couchbase as a backend for my web service. How many nodes am I having? What are they doing? Okay. That sort of thing. Got you. Okay, so maybe just a little bit about the services before we go into that. So there's there's the data service, which is your uh, underlying key value store, and then there's the index service and uh, a global index service and uh, a query service. You could deploy all of those services across maybe three to five nodes. That's not recommended, by the way. What's recommended is that you have a set of servers for the data service, which is your key value access bar, and a set of servers for indexing, and a set of servers for SQL queries. So a typical um, best practice architecture would begin with seven nodes altogether. So you would have uh, at least three servers for your underlying data with replication and all that kind of stuff that we talked about, water sharding. You'd have, so did I get swipe three, four, five, six, seven? Yeah, you'll have two servers for indexing. So you want at least two because you want the index to be uh, highly available. And you want two servers for uh, the SQL query engine. So you can do your SQL queries. So that, that's your seven. And it's all one cluster. So you, you spin, you, it's one uh, software package as well. So you spin up your servers, you install Couchbase, and then using REST APIs or command line utilities, or GUI, you, you configure, you know, these servers over here are going to be the data servers. These servers are SQL servers, and, and these are the index servers. Uh, so the GUI is very easy to use. It's one of the reasons I really like Couchbase. It, it's so easy that I think I could teach my son, my 10-year-old uh, son, how to administer Couchbase. It's that easy. But of course, you're not going to use the GUI most of the time. You're going to use RESTful APIs to automate all of this stuff. So all of that's kind of available. So it's just very simple. You spin up your nodes. Install Couchbase takes a couple of seconds to install on each server, and then you start one of them, and you configure the cluster by saying, "Okay, I'm adding these other servers to this one cluster," and you dedicate what services run on each one. From an application standpoint, it's very simple. Uh, we have uh, Couchbase, I should say, has. I keep saying we have because I used to work for them. <laughs> the Couchbase has a number of clients. Uh, they have a Java client. The same Java client is used for Scala. Uh, they have uh, Node.js, PHP, Python, .NET, pretty much anything, uh, any major programming language is supported. I think even Perl is, is, is there, uh, but I don't think it's, it's an official one. You, you spin up a client on your application server, just like you would with a, a SQL server driver. You, you spin up one of those clients on the application, and you give it a list of servers to seed from. So... Ideally, you want ha you want to have at least two or three. I would say three seeds because as you bootstrap your application, you want to make sure that there are more than more than one because the server you're bootstrapping from might be offline for maintenance. So you so it bootstraps, it picks one of the servers in the cluster. It says, "Hey, uh, Mr. Cashbase cluster, can you can you give me your cluster map? 
Catchphrase says, here's a cluster map. The cluster map makes the application topology aware. So it knows where all the data lives, knows which ones are doing SQL queries, which ones are doing indexing, and which ones are serving data using key value. And then from a developer standpoint, you, you just start doing your queries. So you don't need to be, from a developer standpoint, you don't need to be aware of the topology. The, the administrator can change the topology on the fly. You don't have to turn off the application or reconfigure anything. It's all kind of done dynamically for you. Oh, very cool. In terms of the sizing of the nodes uh, from a hardware yeah. perspective, what, what's a typical node look like? Sure. So it really depends on what service you want to use. Let's stick with the core service, the key value access path. So Catchbase is pretty much RAM bound and disk bound. Uh, it doesn't need a lot of CPU. So you just need an ample amount of RAM because you want to cache as much as you, as, you, as you can for performance or as you need. And you need enough disk to support your persistence. So it really depends on your data volumes. But let's say from a CPU core perspective, I would say about eight cores is all you need for the data service. For RAM, you need as much as you want to kind of cache. So if you've got, say, a terabyte of data and you want to cache 10% of that data, you need 100 gigs of RAM. That's 100 gigs across all of your servers. So if you've got, you know, 10 servers, it's 10 gigs per server. Oh. But, but you need a little bit of a head for operating system, so you need to take that into account. And you also need the RAM available for Replica, because when you fail over, you don't want to warm up from disk. You want that data to be available in memory. So you need about 20 gigs per server in that scenario. And, and, and you just need enough disk. And, and Cashbase recommends local disks as opposed to using SANS or EBS on you know, Amazon web services or you know, kind of persistent disk in Google. Uh, so if you can use local disks, because you get the replication anyway as mm -hmm. part of the software, even if the, the VM is ephemeral, if it goes down, the data is still safely replicated on other servers. But you know, typical use cases range from eight cores, maybe you know, 32 gigs of RAM, a couple of hundred gigs of local disk. So commodity servers, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, the way you were talking about it, I was picturing you know, massive RAM volume requirements, but yeah. this is quite modest. And, and that reminds me of a really funny story. So I was demonstrating Catchbase when I, when I was a, a pre-sales guy for them. And um, it was at, at a university. It was a FOSDEM, I think, conference. And I was achieving, uh, so Catchbase server was achieving a million operations per second across, I think it was about five nodes. And um, there were tweets being sent at the time saying, I bet this requires uh, a lot of memory, a lot of CPU. And I looked at the tweets later on and said, actually, this is the spec. And the spec was, it was a M4 machine on AWS. I can't remember the exact EC2 instance, but it was four cores, 15 gigs of RAM, and just plenty of disk. And, and it was about, I think it was about five servers uh, doing a, a massive amount of uh, throughput to, to achieve that. But obviously, that really depends, right? Because if you've right. got very small documents, you're going to get a lot more operations per second compared to larger documents that are, say, a meg in size, because your network becomes a bottleneck. Right, right. Is, are t customers typically using SSDs for storage or conventional disks? You could use both. You could use SSDs or you could use spinning disks. It really depends on how much you're caching, because the more you cache, the less you need to rely on disk I.O. Right. That's why um, I asked that. Yeah. So you could use spinning disks. Generally, it's recommended to use SSDs if you want to kind of do the million ops per second. So a customer, Amadeus, this is this public knowledge, they have 30 servers 
they have one terabyte of RAM and Fusion I/O disks, and they they do a million reads and writes per second sustained, and two million reads and writes per second peak. Wow! Uh, so that's 50, 50, 50 kind of reads and writes. But it's, there's no magic to it though. They're, they're they're kind of using the the RAM as much as it can, and and we're relying on kind of data uh, guarantees based on the replication. So that that's actually a major question that people say. If you're using RAM, you know, and the machine turns off, we've lost that data. And so the answer to that is, well, when, as, as you do your write, you want to acknowledge that it's replicated. And you can also rep, uh, acknowledge whether it's persisted to disk on one, two, or three servers, depending on how many replicas you have. So uh, when you write, it takes under a millisecond, usually about 0.8 milliseconds for the 95th percentile to serve that write. But obviously then there's a maybe a few more millis to persist that but for replication it, again it's just under a millisecond so you could you could wait two milliseconds and, and acknowledge that your data is now safely replicated on three or four servers okay but four servers with with replicas okay. yeah and just to say the disk persistence is asynchronous so couchbase will persist to disk and replicate to other servers as fast as the disk I.O. allows and as fast as the network bandwidth and I.O. allows. Right, right. Okay, makes sense. Now, what are, what are people doing for recovery? How do you back this behemoth up? It's a good question. So Couchbase has backup utilities uh, built in. You can do full backups, incremental backups, and yeah, so there's kind of different kind of mechanisms for backing up your data. That said, this is fundamentally different to a relational database backup. It's very, very difficult to do point-in-time backups for NoSQL databases. I think Cassandra does a good job, though, because it, it has snapshots kind of capabilities. But Couchbase doesn't give you a true point-in-time backup because some of the data may be in memory while you're backing up whilst it's being persisted to disk. Other NoSQL databases, they kind of hit a write-ahead log, so you can rely on the write-ahead log to kind of get a point-in-time backup. So, for, so to get a point-in-time backup for Couchbase, you would literally have to stop writes for that period of time, make sure everything's flush to disk, and then do your backup. And maybe you, know, you could use, I think depending on the operating system, you could do a snapshot right. uh, or an incremental snapshot and then turn on writes. So, that, so that's something to be aware of. But that said, you know, what, why are you backing up data? You're backing up data because you don't want developers to make a mistake or kind of accidentally delete data and all that kind of stuff, right? So what you could do, one kind of workaround is to replicate to another cluster and, and turn off writes to that cluster and then get a point in time kind of copy. Right. And that also depends on your write part. So are your writes, and, and this might be a problem also for Cassandra, but I'm not sure, but if your writes are dependent on multiple entities across different V nodes in, in Cassandra or V buckets as what they call it in, in Couchbase, that as well might be a little bit problematic depending on when you start your backup because and that's kind of where the conversation of asset transactions come in, comes into play you really want to use nosql databases to make atomic updates and when i mean by atomic i mean single entities so nosql supports base transactions if you are updating multiple records as part of one transaction that's not asset so you'd, you'd need your own checks and balances in the application tier to make sure everything kind of worked and if it didn't, roll it back. And that's where I would really strongly recommend you to stick with relational databases. Right. 
uh, when in reading about Couchbase, you know, preparing for this, the coolest features are what seems to be con commonly uh, acknowledged is um, the automatic sharding as well as the replication protocol between the nodes. Are there any other noteworthy features that you you would uh, highlight to the audience? Yeah, there's there's quite a few. I, I think let's start with some of the access palms for developers. So from a developer standpoint, they can access the data using key value APIs, which are very simple gets and sets updates. They can also do sub-document calls. So if instead of pulling the entire document back and then updating it and sending it back, you know, what if your documents are a mega in size, for example? So you can use a sub-document API to only pull back the bits you need to update or read. So that kind of saves on bandwidth usage. And then you have SQL. So one of the, the things that kind of is missing for document databases is, and NoSQL in general, is a proper SQL language. The Couchbase, instead of exposing uh, a SQL API, which is kind of faking SQL, so to speak, they actually decided to develop a SQL language itself for JSON documents. It's called NICL, N1QL, and N1 stands for first normal form query language, so query language for denormalized data. And uh, it supports joins, it supports, you know, where predicates, it supports order by, uh, group by kind of, you know, expressions. And if you're using a JDBC and ODBC connector, it's ANSI compliant SQL. So from a developer standpoint, it's very easy to kind of transfer your SQL skills over to uh, a document database. It also supports full text search. Uh, Couchbase kind of cheated here. They took the Lucene uh, open source project and rewrote that using Go. Uh, and they made it another service. But, you know, you know, I would still recommend you go to Solar or Elasticsearch if you need to do that, because they're, you know, they're, they're the experts in that field. But if you want to do simple full text search queries, you can do that. So I think, you know, they, they've exposed, they've made it really easy for developers. Other features, I think I mentioned cross data center replication. Uh, you can do filtering. So GDPR is, is, a, is a big subject at the moment, right? So if you need to replicate data outside of the EU, you might want to filter what you replicate so that you stay compliant to GDPR. So you can do that. Uh, you can filter on primary keys using regular expressions. So that's kind of the first iteration of, of that feature. I'm sure they'll kind of go down to the property level of JSON as well. So you can filter. When it comes to cross data center replication, you can do unidirectional, bidirectional, and it, it's very easy to set up. Uh, I mean, I, I could demo the system within minutes. It's, it's very, very easy. You can do it from the GUI, you can use it from REST APIs. Other cool features. So I would say the coolness for me is the fact that, and I may have mentioned this already, but is the fact that Couchbase has, instead of building one kind of mammoth database engine that does everything, which I think is the wrong thing to do because you, know, you can't optimize for all the types of workloads. They've decided to split this out into components. And so they had this feature called MDS, uh, multi-dimensional scaling. And, and, and that's what allows you to kind of dedicate certain servers for key value, certain servers for indexing, and certain servers for, for queries. And that maintains its performance. And I, I think that's cool because it's very difficult to add new features whilst maintaining the performance characteristics of the legacy kind of software. What else? I mean, I probably think of, uh, yeah, actually, I think uh, this is a cool feature. So it has built-in uh, TTLs, very similar to, to Cassandra. So if you're using Couchbase for a session store and you want to invalidate sessions, you can just do that and it will kind of clean it up for you. 
other cool things is that the uh, disk persistence layer and the memory layer are kind of decoupled. So if you're compacting data while serving reads and writes, it doesn't really affect your, your performance. So it's the little things like that. So yeah, so it's quite, quite a lot of features from an architectural standpoint. Right, right. So where could you recommend some learning resources for the audience if 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 you're you know if if you've made it this far you're interested in trying it out for yourself what's the best way or where are the the best places to learn more about it just just go to the Couchbase website so they maintain the the open source project as well so there aren't many forks of Couchbase so if you go to the Couchbase website go to the documentation everything is there so just just google Couchbase downloads to download the software I almost forgot, Terry, we didn't get into practical applications or use cases for Couchbase Server. We are almost at time, but um, could you help the audience understand where they, you had mentioned where they could use it. You had mentioned one where, with very high volume clickstream data. Uh, what, what's a couple, another business use case or two so that you, one can identify a practical use for it? Firstly, I, I would say any time you're dealing with hot data or warm data, so uh, you don't want to use Couchbase for just storing data that you never access. That would be, you know, a, a waste of your system resources. So anything that has a hot OL, uh, kind of workload, OLTP, so, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of operations per second for read-heavy, write-heavy, and mixed workloads. So the typical kind of use cases, so I've done a lot in retail, session stores, caching relational database queries, uh, caching mainframes, so mainframe offloading. Uh, hierarchical use cases. So a product catalog is hierarchical in nature. So a product catalog is a really good use case. Sky ID. So Sky is a, a, Sky sat, a satellite broadcaster in the UK. They use it for user profiles and they used it because of Game of Thrones. Because Game of Thrones was generating a massive spike in reads when people used to log in just before a football game, just before the first half. They needed something that could scale. They went from Oracle to uh, Big Couch, uh, but Big Couch was having compaction problems. And so they moved from ca- Big Couch to Couchbase because it didn't, because of that kind of decoupled disk IO from the RAM kind of serving or reason rights. And, and that kind of worked for the same number of servers. And what they noticed was that uh, the bigger spike was actually Game of Thrones, so uh, more than football. So it kind of served that kind of workload. So spikes in reads, spikes in writes, those kind of volatile use cases. Okay. Okay. Are a lot of people running it on-prem or are they leveraging the cloud? I would say there's a general trend towards the cloud, but 60-40 kind of ratio. A lot of the Black Friday use cases were actually on-prem. So that's one of the use cases I've got to mention, Cashbase. I was involved with uh, Curry's and PC World, which is a popular kind of electronic websites in in the UK and Europe. We managed to implement Cashbase in less than three months and got them Black Friday ready. So before they were thinking about having a queue to stop people from hitting the website, they got rid of the queue and they managed to serve all requests without any downtime. Oh, cool. um, and that was all done within three months. Very cool, very cool. Terry, the way we normally end the podcast is we uh, we do something called the lightning round. And that's where I ask you a, a series of questions and you answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Are you game? Absolutely. Great. Can you name a project that you're the most proud of? Yeah, I, I would have to say it's the Black Friday readiness uh, project that I was talking about earlier on. So Dixon Scarfone Warehouse, they were thinking about adding a queue to prevent their website from going down for Black Friday. We kind of went in 
talked about other Black Friday use cases like Walmart. So they decided to give us a go and we managed to implement a 10 node cluster for sessions and uh, caching Oracle uh, content, data in an Oracle database within three months. And what that meant was they could actually absorb the entire Black Friday load uh, without the queue. So they could service and, and kind of uh, sell more uh, products without any disruption to the service. And I was on site for that. And I can tell you from looking at the, uh, the stats, they, were, they probably made more money that Black Friday weekend and Cyber Monday than the rest of the entire year. It was absolutely crazy. Wow. In terms wow. of the yeah, number of customers and, and products that were sold. Great. And in fact, in fact, we found more bottlenecks downstream. So they had problems in their um, uh, kind of order fulfillment process. So uh, we kind of went back and said, hey, we should do something about this for next year for, for the downstream processes. Good. Okay, cool. Can you name a book that's made a significant impact on your career? So I would typically say headfirst design patterns. So it, it's actually based on an older design patterns book, which I find extremely difficult to read. But the headfirst series, I really like that because it's, it's very kind of visual. So headfirst design patterns. Okay, good. We'll, uh, we'll include a link in the show notes uh, for anyone who wants to read it. A standing or sitting desk when you're working? Sitting, sometimes lying, I have to admit. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm trying to picture how you're lying down and typing, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not in a good way for my back. <laughs> gotcha. Laptop or desktop? Laptop. Okay. Is that laptop a Mac or a PC? Mac top, uh, sorry, Macintosh laptop, but uh, what's a laptop? Okay. <laughs> so Macintosh laptop, but probably transitioning to a Chrome device sometime in the future. Gotcha. I'll have to actually add that to the list. It's a good one. Are you an iPhone or an Android mobile user? Both, because I had to do a lot of couch-based mobile development work for Android and iPhone. I have to say, though, personally, iPhone, because it's very consistent, but I do like the flexibility of Android. Okay. What is the best tool or app that you use on a daily basis? It has to be standard kind of command line utilities. So I use Item2. I'm using ZCH or Z S Z S H or Z S H for you, uh, for the American audience. So this basic command line tools. I, I just find it difficult to uh, transition to GUI based kind of utilities. It's just easier to do everything by command line. Right. Right. Okay. Good. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. The biggest compliment you can give us is by helping others find us. And to do that, you can leave us a quick review on iTunes or telling a friend. We love your feedback. You can email me anytime at datascapepodcast at gmail.com. That's all we have for today, folks. Have a great day in the Datascape. Navigating the Datascape.